Good morning, everyone. I'm so glad to see you here. There are many benefits to a small congregation. One is you're under the law. We're not over 100. We can meet together today. <laughs> How precious that is. Please find your way in God's word to the letter that was sent to the churches in Galatia. So if you open the New Testament, we have the Gospels, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We have the book of Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, and then we go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So we are in the book of Galatians. Pastor Jared did an excellent job of opening up this letter last week. He did a great job of explaining what was going on at the time this letter was written. He gave us a beautiful overview of what was happening. And we saw how this letter is about identity. It's about the identity of the children of God. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, there is salvation for all who believe. There, there is salvation for, for the ones who put their faith in Jesus Christ. And, and that's our identity marker. That, that's, that's, that is what identifies us, faith. That's what sets us apart. And Paul makes that clear in chapter 5 of this letter. In 5, 6, he says, For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. There, there are no separate families of God. We don't have like this family, this family, and this family, all people. Do. No, no, we're all one. And we are all known by our faith. faith. Faith is what brings the people into the family of God. So faith is our marker. Faith is our identity. Faith is what gives us the power to overcome this world as we see, as we will see as we walk through this letter. And so when someone puts their faith in God, puts their faith in Jesus Christ, they become a new creation. We have become a new creation in God. We have a, a new identity, and it all comes about because of our faith in God. No other markers are needed to show who we are in Christ. No circumcision, no special clothes, no keeping of the law, no keeping of special days. What identifies us as children of God is our faith. Faith is sufficient. Amen? This is the, that, that's the theme of this letter. And it will come to more light as we dig into the text over the next couple of months. And now, I suggest that if you missed the message last week, if you were not here last week, that it would be very beneficial for you to go to the website, lh-cc.org, and listen to the message that Pastor Jared preached. It was a great message, excellent message. Now, if you were here last week, I would also suggest that you go to the website <laughs> and listen to it again. <laughs> It's worth listening to. It's very beneficial. Amen? So let's begin our journey through this beautiful word of God. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who were with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from our God, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So here we have Paul's greeting, very short. Not, not the usual greeting that Paul would have given to his brothers and sisters in Christ because he, he wants to get right to the point here in this letter. Paul is, to say the least, is a little upset with what's going on in the churches in Galatia. 
Now, think about this for a moment. Paul personally knew these people. These people who were receiving his letters were believers that Paul had shared the gospel with when he went on his first mission trip. This was his first mission trip. He went into this region. This region is modern-day Turkey, if you're looking at the map. But they knew Paul. They knew what he preached. They knew what he taught. They knew about Paul. They knew about the sufferings that Paul had gone through just because he proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. They, they knew his heart. They, they knew his love for Jesus. You know, something to point out here, there, there was Paul's first, this was Paul's first mission trip. And he almost lost his life on this trip. On his first trip, he almost loses his life. We read in Acts 14, 19, that the unbelieving Jewish leaders followed Paul from city to city until he was in Lystra. And it was there that they stoned him. They dragged him outside the, uh, the city walls and left him there because they thought he was dead. His first trip. Just because he preached the salvation of Christ alone. But it wasn't Paul's time to die. Paul gets up, goes on to the next city of Derby, proclaiming the true gospel to all. Didn't faze him. No fear. So the people in this, in this region, the people of Galatia, the believers in Christ, clearly knew Paul's heart because they had watched him. They, they, they were witnesses of this. They watched him almost die for the good news. They saw Paul running the good race. They saw how much that salvation through Jesus Christ meant to him. So they know him. They know his past. I'm sure Paul told him about his conversion on the Damascus Road. He does it in this letter. But he spent a lot of time with him. So they, they would have known the whole story about Paul. Paul and the believers in Galatia were family. They were precious to one another. They were all a new creation in Christ Jesus. They had become one family in the kingdom of God. God was bringing all kinds of different people, different beliefs, from different backgrounds into one family. They were united by the central truth that salvation had come, the Messiah had come, and his name was Jesus Christ. And it was through Jesus Christ that God made the family of God, the kingdom of God here on this earth. We are all now children of God. And the early church saw each other as family members. They did. So we have to ask ourselves today, is that how we, the church, is that how we look at each other? Because we should. You know, do we have and show the love for one another as God has commanded us? We've all heard the saying, blood is thicker than water. Right. You know, look, th th this phrase means your loyalty to the family is greater than your loyalty to anyone else. So, so families, so it's like families have all kinds of problems. Amen. Or just my family. <laughs> Y'all had me nervous there for a minute. Well, that's different. Okay, but but because blood is thicker than water, you will stick with the family. Right. You work through these so-called problems. You continue to love and seek to find the good in each other for the sake of the family. We do that. If every time a little disagreement came about in the family, if every time someone didn't do it quite the way this one wanted it to be done, and every time something like this happened, we would move out or just leave, wouldn't be any families. We'd all be living in our little 
whatever one person would live in. We'd be living by ourselves. What does the scripture say about the family of God? What does the word say about, believe, about, about believers meeting together? Hebrews 10, 23, 25 should be uh, in our minds. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For, who, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as the, you see the day drawing near. So we meet together to stir one another up to love and good works. It doesn't say that we meet together so that we'll have something bad to talk about someone on our ride home from church. It doesn't say that. It's not in there. Think about it. That's the fallen heart, isn't it? It loves to tear people down because it makes us feel better about ourselves, man. We're not as bad as they are. We got it together. No, not true. Here, here's what should happen. When we leave, when we get in our cars, we should find something good to say about everyone who is here who we just worshiped God with. This is our family. We are to build each other up, not tear each other apart. Within this family, th this is where we can apply, we can do what God has called us to do. Within this family, we are to love, we are to put others first. Love others as much as we love ourselves. I always say, nobody loves Rob Barton like Rob Barton loves Rob Barton because he really loves himself. You know, if I could just give that love to other people, man, y'all be going, enough, Rob. Enough. Stop. Listen, if we can't do it here, how are we going to do it out there? How are we going to do it at our workplace? How are we going to do it witnessing and loving on people who are in fear right now? We have to do it here, folks. We are able to go out into the world and love because we practice it here in the church family. We are able to go out into the world in love because we practice it in our own homes. We are able to go out into the world in love because we are a new creation that is full of the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to do what God has called us to do. So know this. Know this. We are all covered by the blood of Jesus. We are family. And since blood is thicker than water, then it is in the church where we should be loyal to one another and love. This is where the world should see sinners. They should see fallen man, imperfect people, bearing with one another, loving one another in everyday life. That's what the world should see. This is what families do. This is how the light of God shines. This is, this is when it shines its brightest. When we, as a church body, as a group of unperfect people, not willing to give up on one another, who are willing to not give up, who are not willing to give up on meeting together and letting our light shine. We are family. We are all children of God. We are new creations. We're all filled with the spirit of God. We're covered by the blood of Jesus. We are forgiven of our sins. We are family. Amen. You get my point? I bring this up because the ones who were teaching circumcision in Galatia was dividing the family of Galatia. Because of this false teaching and the division in the church, their light was not shining like it should, you see. We need to make sure we let our light shine at all times. 
We need to make sure the world knows who we are in Christ. The people in Galatia were Paul's family. Think about that for a moment, Paul's first mission trip. He watched the people of Galatia come to saving faith. Have you ever been there? Precious, precious time. He was an eyewitness. He watched the family of God grow and come together. They rejoiced together. They cried together. They discussed the things of God. They read the scriptures together. They praised God together. This was Paul's family that was created out of love. They held a precious spot in the heart of Paul. And that's why his heart's broken. That's why his heart's broken when he hears what's going on within the family. He's definitely disappointed as we read this letter. Look at verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who troubled you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul says, I'm astonished. I am amazed. I'm shocked on how quickly you're deserting Christ. I'm astonished that you are quickly deserting. Verse 3, look, the God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. You are deserting him. How quickly you are doing that. Paul's saying, this is the truth that you have been taught. It is in Christ who gave himself for your sins. You, you, you know that. You've been taught that. And because of his love for you and what he accomplished on the cross, he was able, only Christ was able to deliver you from the present evil age. That's good news. That's the gospel right there. Paul says, you have been delivered from that evil age. Why would you turn your back? On, why would you turn back to what you have been delivered from? Why would you go back there? Why would you do that? He says, I know you know the truth. I know you know the gospel message. I know what you have been taught. Paul taught them. He said, but I am in shock on how quickly you deserted the truth. I couldn't help but to think about Paul's feelings here. He's disappointed, astonished, hurt. The actions of the family cut him deep. Then I thought about the Galatians. How could they turn from the gospel and the teachings of Paul, the super apostle, how could they turn from that so quickly? Then I thought about myself. How many times my parents may have said, I just told you to not do such and such, and yet you went and did it anyways. Echoing in my ears. How quickly I fled from teaching. Then I thought about the scriptures. I'm going, how many times, you know, how many times... We don't do what the scriptures command us to do. How quickly we flee. We may even jump in the car and talk about somebody. Quickly. It's not. You know, the self-examination's hard, isn't it? Start looking at ourselves. But that's how we grow. That's how we become more like Christ. Instead of judging others, we spend that time on ourselves. And the family benefits from it. Amen? 
Paul said, you are turning to a different gospel. Not, not that there is another one. He makes that clear. He says, what you're going back to, what you're turning to is not good news. There's only one gospel. What you are turning to is not the gospel. You are turning to a religion. You are turning back to slavery. You are turning back to the evil age. There's no other gospel to turn to. Paul says, you have the truth. You have the good news from God. You have the gospel. If you turn from that, then let me tell you, you're not turning to another gospel. You're just turning what? You're back to God. That's what you're doing. And the truth is, if you turn away from God, that's man's way. That's bad news. That's not good news. That is not God's way at all. That's man's way. So if you turn, if you turn, you're not turning to something better. You're just turning your back on God. You're going to man's way. He says, you think you are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. See, that's man's way of distorting the gospel of Christ. There were some, as we learned last week, that said, well, you can accept the free gift of salvation, but if you really want to be a child of Abraham, if you really want to be a child of God, if you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, you must turn and get circumcised over here. What these people were saying, if a Gentile, that is anyone who's not Jewish, wanted to be a child of God, then they needed to become Jewish with outward acts by circumcision. And Paul says, no, 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 that is a distortion. Now, I want you to think about the Galatians. We could bust on them pretty hard. You know, how can you do that? How can you do that? But, you know, just think about it. Put yourself in their position. For thousands of years, they have seen or been part of the Jewish religion, religious system, which came from God. You know, I brought this up before. Not that the church set out to be disobedient to the word or to God, but, but they were confused. You know, they had to work through this. The, the, the new believers were confused and, and understandable in a sense. You know, they say, hey, look at Abraham. He had faith and he got circumcised. You know, why don't we do that? You see, the influx of Gentile believers with no Jewish background caused problems in the early church. You know, the, the Jewish people, the Jewish believers didn't, didn't know how to handle this. They really didn't. They're, they're working their way through this as a family. And that's why these teachers came up with the idea to turn the Gentile Christians into Jewish Christians. So this teaching confused the Galatians because why? Listen, they hadn't heard uh, Paul teach about these acts that were being told to them that were requirements. That's why they had a problem. Good. They should have had a problem with it. When you hear something that doesn't line up with Scripture, you should have a problem with it. And dig in and find out the truth. But they were confused because they were being told that these were requirements to be a Christian. This is required of you. If you're really saved, you will do this. So they were confused. But Paul's like, hold on, hold on, wait a minute. He's frustrated. You, you, have, you, have not, you should have not been taken in by this teaching. You, you know the truth. You've heard the truth. You have a firm foundation I did not tell you about those requirements because there is no such thing. What those teachers have said, what those false teachers have said, does not line up with truth. Why even give an ear to something that goes against what you are taught? Why even give an ear to something that you know is not the gospel message? 
You are to stand firm in the truth, stand firm in the word. Point here, why is this so important to know the truth? Why is it so important to know the truth? Young kids, y'all listening? It's important to know the truth so that you will be well-equipped so that you will have a firm foundation. You won't be living with mom and daddy all your life. Some of you may think so, but it's not going to happen. You're going to have to move out. Because, listen, when you go out into this world, you are going to be hit with many man-made ideas of salvation. And if you do not have a firm foundation, if you do not know that you know the truth, then you will be taken in by someone distorting the gospel message, adding just a little twist to the truth. It's going to sound really, really good. But you're going to hear things that go, wait a minute, that doesn't line up with what I know that I know. You have to be quick. Paul had a message for anyone who distorts the gospel like that, verse 6, and turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed or let him be eternally condemned, in other words. Let him be cut off from God's people. That's what Paul's saying. Paul is so upset with these people because they are seeking to, I guess, win the Galatian, win, win back the Galatian people. Take them back to the evil age that Jesus had rescued them from through the cross. With their perverted message, they were seeking to bring the Galatian people back to the evil age. Listen, with that, the perverted metastrepho, it goes beyond the, the idea of uh, confusion or complications. You know, when, when we're talking about perverting the message, it implies reversal or making something the opposite of what it was originally. And so they were trying to bring the people back to the evil age. They are trying to, to get them to come back and be Jewish. And, and that's why Paul is so adamant to put a stop to this teaching. Listen, when, when Paul, think about this for a minute. Now, when Paul uh, said, you know, others want to pervert the gospel of Christ, he was not rejecting everything that's Jewish. He wasn't doing that. Paul was a Jew, as we see in know, who worshiped in the temples and attended the religious festivals. That wasn't the problem. He was concerned, and he wanted to make sure that nothing got in the way of the simple truth of his message, salvation for Jews and Gentiles alike. They were all one through faith in Christ alone. That, that truth cannot be distorted. You can do all that other stuff if you want, but that truth cannot be distorted. You know, what is our identity marker of the children of God? Faith in Christ alone, right? It brings us together. So Paul, he, he really lets them, lets them have it. For the ones who are perverting the gospel, let them be accursed, he says. Let them be cut off from, from, from God. For the ones who were willing to listen to this false teaching, I am in shock on how you deserted the one who called you into the grace of Christ. Paul's not worried about making friends, is he? When it comes to this subject, he, 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 doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't care what man thinks. Look at verse 10. For I am not seeking the approval of man, 
he said, for I am now, for I am now seeking the approval of man or God. That's what he's asking the question. Now that you've heard what I said, am I trying to please man or am I trying to please God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And, you know, that's a choice we have to make, too. If we're trying to please man, it's very hard to be a servant of Christ. So as we can see here in Paul's message, Paul was not trying to please men with his message. He, he was not seeking the approval of man with his message. Paul was a servant of Christ, and he preached a message that was approved by God. You see, these false teachers were saying that Paul, he taught freedom from the Jewish law to the Gentiles in order to meet their approval and thus win as many men uh, you know, as possible to follow him. That's what they're saying. You know, Paul distorted the message. He just wanted followers. He said, I don't, I don't want to look for the approval of man. I'm preaching a message from God. And that's why Paul says here, tell me whose approval I am seeking. Look at my words. After what I just said to all of you, whose approval am I seeking? As we know, Paul's purpose was always to seek God's approval. And we can see that here in this letter to his family. Verse 11, for I would have you known, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For, it did not receive, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, there's a hill to die on right there. No one can separate the gospel from Jesus Christ. Paul says it right here. The gospel I preach was not man's gospel. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, we just finished the book of Mark. Do you remember how it began? Chapter 1, verse 1. The gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark's record of Jesus' first public message indicates that Jesus was the source of the term good news or gospel in referring to himself and his message. We all know, since we studied the book of Mark, that Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come. Repent, believe, and believe in the good news. Believe in the gospel. Twice in the letter of Mark, Jesus placed equal and supreme value on the gospel and himself, claiming that he and the gospel were worthy of the most devoted followers. So hear and know this. Jesus and the gospel cannot be separated. You can't do that. To understand either one properly, you must understand both. Jesus came to this earth and presented in person the invitation, repent and believe, he says, in that gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul's making it clear. I received the gospel of God from Jesus Christ, not from man. And, and that's the reason Paul makes a statement. He has to make it crystal clear where the gospel came from and why he has the authority to, to proclaim it. Think about this. Why should the Galatians listen to Paul? Little short, funny-looking guy coming to town preaching the gospel? Why would they listen to Paul? Or what or who gives Paul the authority on this subject? You see, we have the scriptures to dig in to find the truth. This, this letter is one of the first letters written in the New Testament. So 
So the only thing that they had at that time was the teaching of Paul and the Old Testament to go by. They, they had to put this together. So they're, they're living it out. They're working it out as a family. They're, they're living out what we know as truth here. Now, don't discount one big factor. They had the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was there. Do not discount the power of the Spirit at the work in the early church. The Holy Spirit was present in the hearts who had put their faith in Jesus, and he was there helping and guiding and establishing the early church. He was helping the family work out these problems. Amen? But Paul does give us credentials, and for good reasons. You know, one is that he did not want the children of God just listening to anyone who come along claiming to have the word of God. You know, that was going on a lot. You know, Christ warned us about false teachers. There would be many of them. And, you know, that applies to us today. You know, we don't give credit or take someone's word as the gospel just because they speak well and have on a nice suit. You know, we're not, we're not taken in by anyone who made us feel special when we met them or they make us feel good when they preach. No, we're not taken in by that. We don't fall into those traps, I would say, because, you know, we have the Holy Spirit, one. And two, we have the scriptures to go by. We have the word of God to, to go and check all teaching. Check my teaching. Always dig into the scriptures. We, of all people, should never be taken in by some false teacher. We should always ask what? Chapter and verse, please. We have the word of God. When we hear someone teaching the word of God, we should always desire to know the truth, to know the scriptures, to protect us from being led astray. So when they preach and teach, go to the word of God. Check it. Chapter and verse, please, at all times. God warns us about false teachers, and it is our responsibility to make sure we're not taken in by them, nor do we follow them. It is our responsibility to know the word. So one, Paul did not want the children of God just listening or following anyone who claimed to have the word of God. Two, he gives us credentials to prove his authority and to prove the gospel did, in, did indeed come from Jesus Christ. Verse 13, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among, the among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned among uh, and returned again to Damascus. So in verse 1, you know, as we read a minute ago, Paul introduced himself as sent. He, he said, I'm neither sent by human commission nor from human authorities. I wasn't commissioned by man or human. Or I didn't get my authority from, from man. Man didn't lay hands on Paul and send him out. Man did not give him any authority. Paul was commissioned by God. He was commissioned by God through Jesus Christ and God the Father. That's where his authority came from. Paul began at the beginning saying that so they would be clear. Paul wanted the Galatian believers to know beyond any doubt that he was an apostle. 
called separately from the 12. It was an act of God. He's making that clear, not from man. He makes that point. He said, I did not immediately consult with anyone. You know, this is his conversation. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. He said, I didn't go meet them. I didn't go to Jerusalem. didn't go to the other 12. When, what happened on the road was between God and Paul, not man and Paul. Verse 18, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's Peter, and remained with him 15 days. Three years he went off and, and studied the scriptures. Then he went to meet Peter. But I saw none of the other apostles except for James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to be persecuted is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. So Paul lays out a timeline here for the churches in Galatia. He, he wants to make clear that his message was received directly from Christ. He had been an exemplary Jew, so he knows what he's talking about. He had a special conversion experience, and he wanted them to know that he had been confirmed and accepted in his ministry by the other apostles. So he lays out the timeline. I have authority to preach what I preach, and it came from Jesus Christ. Paul declares his authority so that they will know that Paul declares the truth. And they should stand firm on what they had been taught. Do not go back to the evil age you have been delivered from. Do not go back there. Do not listen to the false teachers. So as we close the day, make notes. Think about this for a second. This is the only letter which Paul wrote that did not contain a commendation for its readers. If we look at the letter that Paul had written to the Corinthians, they were all messed up. They were worldly. They were divisive, they were immoral, and immature Christians. And yet Paul said, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him. That's what he said about them. <coughs> Nothing like that in this letter. That's not how he opened up. The difference between the Galatians and the Corinthians is, is this. The Corinthians had a right living problem. The Galatians had a right doctrine problem. And this is something that Paul could not just overlook. This is not something that, you know, hey, we're going to work this out. It had to be corrected firmly and immediately. Paul said, a curse is anyone who distorts the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul had no fear, no fear of men. He lived his life in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No fear. Paul, Paul was never taken over by fear. They stoned him. Left him for dead. Dust off. I'm going to go preach some more. No fear. He knew that he knew he was in the hands of God. Nothing could snatch him out of the hands of God. He knew without a doubt he was a new creation in the kingdom of God. Paul had a living hope in his heart and his circumstances never changed his hope. Did you hear that? His circumstances never <coughs> changed his hope. 
So I was talking to little Rob, who's not so little anymore, <laughs> last night, and uh, we were talking about all the things that were going on in the world. You know, all the viruses and shutdown and all this stuff. And he kept saying some things that just, man, just hit me hard, hit my heart. I said, man, I love what you're saying. I said, text it to me. Text what you said. Well, I could tell he's a preacher's son because he texted a lot more than what he had said. <laughs> but it was good. And so I'm just going to read you his text. He said, as believers in the risen Christ, we must not succumb to the temptations to be gripped by fear and anxiety during a pandemic like the <coughs> coronavirus. Did you hear that? As believers in the risen Christ, we must not succumb to the temptation to be gripped by fear and anxiety during a pandemic like the coronavirus or any other life unsettling <coughs> circumstances. Instead, our hearts should rest in the comforting fact that our eternal hope and security rest in the finished work of Christ. That he reigns on high, is completely sovereign over our lives and circumstances, and nothing that we experience is a surprising God. In times like these, when the world panics because of their false security of comfort and help is threatened, we should boldly display that, though Christ, that through Christ we do not walk in fear. But in any circumstances, trial or suffering, our faith rests fully in our sovereign God. It's like, amen. Amen. We don't walk in fear. You know, it doesn't mean that we throw out common sense. We wash our hands. You don't give a brother who's coughing a holy kiss. Okay? But we don't have to be consumed by fear. So I say, family, family, rejoice in the living hope you have. Be patient in tribulation and be in constant prayer. Do not let fear cripple the children of God. Amen?